This week, it's episode 22 of Insecurity. We discuss major cell phone platforms and some of their security implications. Visit us on the web at in-security.org. Follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show or send us an email at feedback at in-security.org. Hey, buddy. How you doing this week? I'm doing fantastic. So what is news and exciting? Uh, news and exciting. Well, I have no idea. What's news and exciting with you? I've been playing chess master. Ooh, I don't actually have news and exciting. Are you good at chess master? No, I got the Fitbit flex, which is really annoying to say as a product. Fitbit flex. It's the FBF. Yeah, because I figure, I don't know if I've spoken about this before, so I doubt it. I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. I got the Fitbit flex, which is a, glorified pedometer it does a bunch of fancy things it can measure my i guess pedometry is that a (laughs) is that a word it measures how many steps i take it can also measure my sleep patterns to see if i'm sleeping restlessly or if i'm actually being good at sleep yeah so i figure one of two things will inevitably happen i'm either going to I'm going to make this the summer of Matthew so that I get so much exercise. Either that or I'm going to use this device to monitor how many calories I burn while sleeping and then ingest slightly less than that. Nice. It'll be my new uh, my new diet craze. Sleep your way to a slimmer, better you. Hmm. So Carrie got the Fitbit Force, which is the one that they recalled because it was compromised by security. No, it was melting people's skin. I don't think that it was. I think that they had received a small amount of people who had complained that they broke out into rashes. Yeah, it turns you into like the first Robocop when the guy's like in the toxic waste. He's like, I'm melting. And then the car drives through. Huh. I suspect that that is not true either. (laughs) Come on. All right, fine. So anyways, they did a mass recall and now... That movie was genius. Why'd they it go was. and remake it? Why does Hollywood got to remake everything? <laughs> Fitbit Force counted pedometry and accelerometry and hydometry, those kind of things. Uh, so it actually calculated on top of the sleep thing and the sinking when you're nearby. It also calculated, you know, how many stairs you did and stuff like that. Sadly, that one was discontinued while I was shopping. It's true because it melts skin. Mm. How's Carrie's skin? It was fine. She never had any issues with it, which is weird because she has like acidic skin, which will eat through like cheap metals. So Mm. good thing it was rubber. Yep. So regardless, while she's been enjoying the the force, there's the recall, which she's going to take them up on. And then she's not sure if she's going to get the flex or not because it doesn't do all of the things that the force did. And while Carrie had the force, she had passed over the other previous, like second generation version of the Fitbit, the one that like is a little clip and it comes with like a little holster that you can put that clip into, but, uh, doesn't work well with sports jackets that I use for work. And so somehow somewhere, the sports jacket lifted it out of the holster and deposited it on the ground somewhere. So I lost it. Uh, that's really unfortunate. Yep. Speaking of eating too much, I'm 
rebelling against this eternal winter that we're having. Because it's no longer winter, it's spring now. So this weekend, I cooked a nice brisket out on the barbecue for like 16 hours. And actually did a, a real brisket and I made my own beans. So that was nice. Like from scratch, you, you buy like the great northern white beans and then you let them sit overnight in, in water and then you simmer them and then you add all sorts of delicious stuff like jalapenos and molasses, and brown sugar and maple syrup. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It really turned out great. And Carrie made a delicious cornbread with uh, filled with cheese and jalapenos as well. And we invited friends over and had a great, great time. One of the people that were over, she doesn't like like canned beans and she was just hoovering these things down. They weren't the texture wasn't as soft as the the canned ones, not as saucy either. And so she was really, really enjoying it. She liked spicy stuff, too. So that's awesome. Yep. Anyways, I'm, I'm happy to be able to barbecue again even though there's still snow on the ground and it was minus minus 15 doesn't matter. It's spring. What today it was minus 15 or over the weekend. Yes. yes. Oh, today it was plus well, 14. I don't want to lie to what? you today. It was 14 degrees out. It was lovely. Oh man. This morning it was like minus 15. We went out to the art gallery cafe on Friday, sat out in the sun Sounds nice. I feel like I was just there. Mm-hmm. So speaking of uh, apps on phones, we should really talk about mobile device security. Hey, I think that that is an excellent show. Yeah, don't you just. Well, I feel like it's something that uh, really applies to a lot of people now and be- is becoming more of an issue for enterprise than enterprise even really seems to realize. Uh, You're absolutely right. It's becoming a huge deal. So I don't know how to even start tackling this topic. So I'll just speak about what I know. So my Android phone, right? Android has crazy fragmentation in the market. They've got like thousands of different models of Android phones. And Google will release like updates to the the Android open source project, AOSP. And, you know, some of that will be kernel level stuff. And then you'll have different manufacturers who have their own GUIs and their own differences that they need to keep the phone at. And so they'll be out of sync there. And then you'll have things like uh, different carriers, you know, so in the UK, an orange carrier versus, you know, uh, AT&T or bell or whoever they'll all delay kind of the installation until they've tested out their own crappy bloatware apps with the phone or you know just have planned obsolescence with it so people will be running older outdated versions of the software and of course part of that is the security fixes won't get applied to people's phones whereas apple centrally manages all that and pushes it out and i think that's probably the best thing i have to say about the iPhone is that Apple keeps all of the phones pretty much at the same level. From what I understand, Apple has the highest adoption rate of any 
mobile phone OS out there currently because of what? primarily that um, Apple will anytime an update comes out, it's generally supported by any of the phones that Apple hasn't deemed end of life. Yeah. Hasn't deemed obsolete already. So a- Apple actually pushes out the updates centrally from their own servers, whereas it's different for, you know, the different vendors of phones and different carriers. I, uh, I had an interesting experience when my brother-in-law got me a, um, galaxy Nexus, which is like a couple generations ago of phone. And I was, uh, carrying it around listening to a podcast as I was going to the grocery store to get two jugs of water when I was up at the cottage and I, um, my shoelace caught the hook on my other boot and I bullied myself down to the ground while carrying two containers of water and my phone slipped out of my pocket as I went to catch myself with both of my hands holding jugs and smashed 10 gallons of water right next to my phone as it fell down into the salty water and my headphone disconnected. So it was just like, you know, the openings were just filled with all of this nasty stuff. And so I turned the phone off right away, tried to dry it out as best I could. And when I turned it on, the only thing that didn't work is the headphones, which is not great because I ride a motorcycle. I need ear protection when I do so. And I like having, you know, not, not, I like multitasking and having podcasts playing as well while I'm riding my motorcycle. So not having Uh, Having a phone with headphones not working just wasn't an option. So I went to Rogers, who my carrier is, my cell phone carrier is, and I told them to uh, that I needed a a new phone. And I was able to get a phone for like free with them. Um, But now they were in control rather than Google was in control of the updates. But I still had my old phone. So I was able to see how long it took for something that's supposed to be a native Google phone to get updates to the actual handset device. And what was your experience? Months of delay for no good reason whatsoever. Right. So I was, I was upset. So now I also understand that some handset manufacturers like to throw in wacky things. And those wacky things may need proprietary drivers for them. Is that actually the case? Um, sure. I believe so there's extra hardware that a lot of, or not a lot of, but some of the manufacturers. So Google puts out their version of the latest, um, the latest Android OS. Right. And then the manufacturers have to hold it up while they put on their own versions of, um, interfaces their own like touch whiz and all that kind of stuff for Samsung, the, uh, the UI over top of it. And then they also have to write proprietary drivers for whatever their various hardware is that they've thrown onto the phone to try and make it unique. Right. I mean, it, 
smartphones are essentially computers for your pocket, right? So there's the kernel that's running. And when the person updates the kernel, uh, the different manufacturers have their own chips that they've put into there, which require different drivers. Sometimes because it's a different chip, it's a different architecture. So like Intel will have like full on Intel CPUs in some phones and you'll have uh, Qualcomm with Snapdragons and um, whoever with arms and call. Um, yeah. So you'll have different architectures, different micro architectures within that. And, you know, they'll have to recode certain parts of the kernel to work with those chips themselves. And then you'll have different features that they keep adding to the phone. So the ones where you like, you know, look down and then the phone starts scrolling for you and some of the newer ones and, you know, uh, the different features that people have. And then you'll have the UIs on top of that, right. To make it look pretty. And so you can understand a little bit of delay, right. Between the handset manufacturer and when Google puts it out, the thing I can't understand is how the carriers got involved at controlling these updates. Understandably, a lot of the times they have support contracts out. And so if somebody were to upgrade their phone and, and it were to break the phone, then they'd have to go back to the carrier and the carrier would get, you know, yelled at or whatnot. But I don't think that's a reason to allow this planned obsolescence of phones where they won't get upgrades to their OS. And it seems to be mainly on Android phones, but I think Blackberry's Windows phones also affected by this where the carriers are in control of that last deployment. Right. But yeah, that, that upsets me. So, so constantly Android phones are behind. So I think from a TechCrunch article one day ago, it says iOS seven adoption is at 90% while KitKat remains under 10%. Under 10. Yeah, because look at the number, the vast number of Android phones there are out there. And while Apple is able to make one handset on average per year, and then they roll out their planned obsolescence for it, but they're in control of what gets, what becomes obsolete. Android manufacturers or handset manufacturers, um, not only do they, come and go but they are in a constant battle for the lowest common denominator so there's this really massive battle to try and make a low cost android like a low cost smartphone a low cost android handset and as a result of that you're not going to put any kind of r&d into an existing model you can't afford to, not if you're trying to undercut everything. And then when a new phone comes out, you can't necessarily spend the time to develop to make drivers for something that was obsolete when the old versions came out. Like when the old versions of the operating system came out, at least that's my, my, my theory. So there's this rapid, rapid obsolescence of handsets being manufactured. There are, don't get me wrong, there are high-end Android phones out there, and those are the ones that are still technically being supported as long as possible. 
things like the Samsung Galaxy line, things like the Samsung Note line, things like uh, some of the HTC phones. But other than that, like top manufacturers for Android phones, high-end Android phones, there's not a whole lot out there. Because Uh. most people, when they are willing to pay extra money, go for iPhone because of its ridiculously oversaturated marketing. Well, that that's depressing. Again, theories on my part. I'm um, amazed that the KitKat rate is actually so much lower. I thought that I had heard just recently that it was doing a lot better than it is, but wow, that's terrible. So what do you think in terms of Android, if there are so many different people who have their hands in the development of each Android release, what do you think is the likelihood that you're going to end up with a secure product at the end? So being security minded, the only method that I could think of to actually have a secure device at the end of this is to only buy the Nexus line of phones directly from Google and keep the carriers out of it and make sure that it's running that native Android open source project, the AOSP that Google is for sure updating and will for sure update, except for the case in my previous Galaxy Nexus where the uh, chip within it was a Texas Instrument chip, uh, and they stopped supporting that and stopped recompiling the kernel for that platform. So there's that. But yeah, so native Google is the way that I can see to reduce the bloatware, reduce the features that I have no desire for using, and uh, keep the OS up to date. Fair enough. A lot of the problems with Android uh, from a actual exploitation perspective is it has the ability to install all Android devices have the ability. If you go into the developer options to install software and applications uh, from untrusted sources. And so this is by far how people get tricked into installing malicious software which compromises their device there are otherwise malicious apps within the app store um but they don't tend to be as terrible as the ones that you you get and and the uh actual the rate in which people get infected through the app store uh the google play store is not as bad as what when they decide to go off the reservation and install their own applications And then the App Store being this sort of walled garden has, I believe, a lot more takedown rate when something is identified as problematic. They will no longer offer it. I don't know if you're aware, but there's been some, um, there was an application out that had driven a lot of media attention to it called Flappy Bird. And so there was a whole bunch of people coming out with applications similarly named 
to this when when the application was removed from the app store because the developer actually wanted to get rid of it. And so it drove an urgency of people to go and try to download the Flappy Bird, which is already gone from the Google Play Store. But all these other people had flappy type things up there that looked like the bird icon. And the whole objective of that was to get people to trick uh, trick them to install this application. And at that point, when people are just desperate for this, I guess they don't read what information and services are going to be used by the application. I just want it like and put their personal privacy second to their desire to get this application. Uh, and so a lot of people got compromised. So Google actually went out and said, okay, anything with flappy in the title is getting pulled from the Google play store. Do you have any idea what any of those compromises were? I believe the flappy bird guy himself made a huge amount of money just based on the advertisements that were within the game. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are folks that just had advertisement based type uh, model revenue, uh, revenue models for their applications, or if they tried to, you know, get information on people and, and just relied on that one click acceptance to steal people's personal information, download their contacts and spam out stuff to those people. Right. So I'm not positive. No. Um, but from my visit to Kansas West, I can see what is possible. There's the ability to do uh, kernel level attacks and compromise the whole OS in the in the land of possible. Is there something like a botnet for phones? Yes, apparently there is. Um, at least that's what the antivirus folks tell you. Now, I have a, a buddy who had his phone compromised, and um, I'm I'm not positive what it was doing on his behalf, but uh, he went and he suspected that his phone was compromised, and he went and he looked for an antivirus program, which just made matters worse because that was basically uh, an application that was running and feeding all of his information outside of his phone. So. Hmm. That's the problem, right? Is you don't have the control and the ability to see what the phone's doing, right? There's no logs that you can go through on what your phone's actually connecting to. So if you install a malicious application and you're not using Wi-Fi and, and capturing all of the logs of exactly what your phone's doing, then you're pretty much blind to what the apps are running. And I'd say the same is true for any platform. I believe another thing of mild interest with the Android, um, the Android platform is that there are a variety of legitimate app stores. There's not only the Google Play Store, which is Google's own version of it. There's the Amazon App Store. Yes, you're right. Amazon's Kindle has has uh, developed its own app store. There's a Yahoo one, I believe, as well. So then access to any of these third-party app stores, first off, under a big name like Amazon, you would assume that you can trust it. However, installing apps from that will prompt you to turn off the install from unknown sources. 
I don't believe so, actually. I believe well, it that- does on mine because I've got a hacked ROM on there. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so I might just be talking out of uh, the wrong end of the cat and mouse game. Right, right. Um, so the Amazon Kindle uh, actually links back to the Amazon store, and that's where it gets, that's its official app store. But I believe every every manufacturer can set only one app store as the default one. And then if you want to uh, connect to somebody else's app store, then yes, you have to allow the installation of software from untrusted sources. Okay, so I don't know if that's possible without having a ROM on there, but I assume it is. Which you don't know if what's possible. Installing the Amazon App Store onto a vanilla phone. Right. It, allow, it prompts you to turn on the install software from unknown sources. And in the modern version of KitKat, it's, it's a task to get around to be able to do that. You have to enable your developer options by tapping five times on the operating system version or something like that. I can't exactly recall. And then repeating the steps three more times so that it actually sets it on your phone. So they're trying to make it like explicitly, yes, I know I'm making a mistake or yes, I know that bad things are going to happen to me and I'm not going to hold the, the vendor or the phone accountable for it. Uh, but enough talking about all the bad stuff. There are some good things that you can do with your Android phone. The one that I do immediately after getting my phone is encrypt the hard drive for the phone. So you can actually go into the security settings and set it to encrypt the whole phone. And if you have SD cards, you can have those be encrypted as well. It's kind of important for myself as I somehow sometimes have to go into the States and there's the U.S. Patriot Act where uh, the border guards are allowed to seize the phone and download the contents to it while they go into the back room with the phone. If they suspect that it contains you know, copyrighted material or whatever, something else damaging to national security for the United States. So if you encrypt the contents of the phone, you can simply power it down and it won't be allowed to power back up without entering in the correct password to decrypt it. Huh. So on average android devices i think that's under settings then more then security and then encrypt device correct and it requires that you have a pin or a password so of course i go for the password one you also want to make sure that you have to enter the password enough times so you want to find the balance between the inconvenience of having to enter your password with the protection of you know if you left your phone somewhere on your desk and somebody goes up to play with it, that it's actually locked. Another good feature of the Android phone that I don't believe I've seen on other devices is the, uh, you can manage the certificates that are trusted. So you can go through and remove the, you know, Bank of Hong Kong and Chinese certificate authorities if you have no business trusting them. And you can remove people that you know have been compromised, like Komodo's root certificate authority because they got hacked and all of the, the root certificates from them weren't trustworthy for a while. Settings then more than security and trusted credentials. Uh, what else for Android? That's pretty much it. You want to 
not install software from unknown sources unless you super trust it. And then you want to encrypt it and you want to remove the SSL certificates that you don't require. You want to set the screen to timeout after a certain amount of time and then the lock screen to kick in after another amount of time that's all balanced with inconvenience versus security. So these are a couple of hardening tactics for the Android phone. Correct. Now, Apple phones, I I don't actually run an iOS-based phone, but I believe the only thing that you can do is make sure that you keep updating it for security. You can continuously update it. You can actually set permissions for various things and have them um, pin protected. So for purchases, you mean, if somebody can physically gain access to your device, you'll definitely want to enable like a passcode and the phone to auto lock uh, so that it sorts people from being able to just enter into your phone. Now, I've only ever seen people use a pin code to protect their phone, like a four digit pin which is not that much protection. I believe that it's also tied to iTunes and you want to make sure that the backup of your phone is encrypted so that if somebody can gain access to your backup, that they can't uh, decipher your password through there. And then, of course, it's a computer. You want to protect it as much as you can, like physically protect it so bad guys can't grab it in their hands. But I don't believe that there's any way to encrypt your uh, device itself if you're running iOS. I don't believe that that is built in. What you do want to do, though, on an iOS device is enable the um, centralized management of your phone so that you can over the air wipe your device if it gets stolen from you. Through the find my iPhone option? Correct. If it also attaches to uh, Wi-Fi, it'll also go back to this Apple service and look to see if it needs to wipe itself. But that's what it is. It's a polling service that needs to go and see if it needs to wipe itself. So if somebody blocks that polling service from being successful, then they can essentially, you know, cat and mouse game, prevent you from wiping it. Interestingly enough, Android has the same option. Not natively. I believe so. Google.com slash Android slash device manager. And if you are signed on to the Google account that you have, it may need to be installed. I forget. But in much the same way that iPhone, it needs to be manually set up. You can add the um, Android device manager to your phone. So it's a free app available from Google. Um, it gives you the same locate the phone option. It gives you the same ring the phone and gives you the same um, setup lock and erase. So you can remotely wipe the phone. I know that there's a slew of applications that will also do this, but it depends on how much you trust the application. So apparently iPhone or iOS has an option to set specific restrictions for the device. Uh, Those restrictions can restrict access to applications, including Safari, the camera, FaceTime, the iTunes store, the iBook store, the ability to install apps, the ability to delete apps, in-app purchases, Siri, and AirDrop. It allows you to prevent access from specific content types, such as ratings, um, music and podcast, movies, TV shows, books, apps, Siri, website. You can also adjust the time necessary before a password is required to purchase content. You can prevent changes to privacy settings, including your location services, so you can't turn off the location services. You can't manage 
your contacts. You can't change calendars. You can't change reminders. You can't, I guess, um, change privacy settings on photos, Bluetooth sharing, microphone, Twitter, Facebook, and advertising. You can prevent changes to the following settings and accounts, which would be accounts. Find my friends, cellular data use, background app refresh, and volume limit. And then lastly, you can restrict features within the game center for whomever uses that. And those are all under the restrictions, and those are then controlled by a passcode, which can, I believe, be different from the passcode to actually log into the phone. Hmm. So apparently you can set a whole bunch of different settings uh, and restrictions and then pin protect it. Fun thing about uh, iPhones, and I think that it's only ever really affected iPhones, is that the security settings, um, cat and mouse game, people have found ways of bypassing the secure locks within them so that you can access the certain features of the phones, at least, without knowing the right password. There were a variety of vulnerabilities at the start of iOS that actually made it so that, for instance, if you open the phone and then accessed uh, photos from the lock screen, you could then leave the photos by hitting one of the navigation buttons and it would simply bypass the lock screen altogether. Yeah, there there was a few different problems with a few different versions. There was another one where you go to like the emergency phone and then back out of that and then up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA start. And then, you know, essentially you're able to get access to the phone without, uh, without knowing the password. And it seems to be like whenever they come up with a new version of iOS, there's some new bug that they've introduced to the logon. But these controls, when you're when you're controlling individual phones, like it's fine for a consumer, but it's not enterprise type controls. This is all Mickey Mouse type stuff, right? Like if you want controls, you need something that centrally manages these settings. So over time, people have developed these mobile device management suites of software, which attempts to do that. So it attempts to be able to control who can connect to the network and what level of security the phone needs to be at to be able to join your corporate network. Now, I don't have a lot of experience in this, but I know it's the blossoming market right now. So you'll be able to centrally log information as to who's joined the network, what versions of phones uh, have been supported. And this is all basically around the bring your own device initiative that's been going on for the past few years. Right, where people have decided to go out and buy their own phones and then want to bring this untrusted device into the corporate network, which from a centralized security management thing just seems like craziness. We, we've had this battle a long time ago in the enterprise with you know people's laptops that they go out and they buy themselves. And we've drawn the line in the sand. We said, no, thou shalt not, if you need a laptop for work will provide you with one and we'll make sure that we centrally manage it, harden it and do all the good stuff that we need to do. Now we're doing the same fight all over again with the bring your own device thing. People say, but I got this fancy tablet that's got untrustworthy OS 4.3 and I want to join it to the corporate network. 
and have it be able to access everything inside all of my servers and everything like that. So this is where this MDM software comes into play. Now there is one company which seems to have gotten all of this right, and that's BlackBerry. With their centralized management of devices, uh, they've been very draconian in the past, at least where I work, where through the BlackBerry Enterprise Server, you can actually control policies as to what the devices are allowed to do, when to push out updates, how to communicate, if uh, if you people can even get to the internet, if they have to go through the internal corporate proxy, which would then log all of the traffic of where somebody's going. I mean, the amount of control that you can do through the BlackBerry Enterprise Service is just fantastic from a security perspective. From a usability perspective, this is why I carry two phones. I carry my corporate BlackBerry for accessing all of the internal mail, calendar applications. Uh, basically, that's all that I use it for because that's all that I can use it for because it's so locked down. And then I've got my Android device for personal use. My feelings on this are that BlackBerry really had the right thing going. And then iPhone came out with all the bells and whistles that it had. And users wanted this, as is always going to be the case. So BlackBerry just really didn't have the fun that the other phones had at the cost of actually being reliable, being secure, and being securable. Reliable to the extent of you can count on it from a security perspective, not necessarily from the quality of the builds of some of the handsets. Well, I mean, back in its heyday, BlackBerry was the, was the corporate device, right? It had the battery life that was necessary for doing all day. It used the push notification technology, which really lowered the amount of data that was needed. Um, everything goes back and forth to the corporate BEZ server. The controls are just phenomenal. You can deploy, um, internal applications to it so that you can do things like uh, have soft tokens for remote access instead of having carrying around these hard tokens with you. Um, there was just, it was just phenomenal. And then some time along the way, they got confused and said, huh, this consumer market is really hopping. We should, we should try to compete with that. And by the time the iPhone and Android were saturating the market there, they had lost it. Uh, I mean, they stopped innovating. And when you stop innovating, then you've lost the inertia and you can't keep on top. So they appear to be looking like they're centering back around corporate devices. Their centralized management of devices is so fantastic that they've been promising to extend it out to iPhones and, and, um, into Android devices and Windows mobile phone. So if that comes out, then suddenly these devices in the enterprise will have a very trustworthy centralized source practicing and controlling what they can and cannot do. My fear with this is we'll end up in the same situation where you need two phones, a corporate phone and a personal phone. Blackboard has come out with this ingenious thing called balance, whereas they try to separate the two so somebody can have a corporate profile on their phone 
and a personal profile on the phone so they don't have to carry two phones and only one gets all of the restrictions. Uh, and then there's virtualization on the phone itself so that like we we're discussing before the CanSec West recap, uh, it's very much separate into what can and cannot happen. Hmm. That seems like a pretty good technology. Yes. Yes, it does. Have your personal phone run in a sandbox. Right. It's actually, it's actually better than a sandbox. It's like a whole virtualized instance. Anyway, so that's about all that I know about mobile devices. Really. So that's an interesting introduction into mobile device security. We've got a couple of ideas there for some hardening as well. Right. And it's obviously an emerging market. We'll see a lot more interest in, in this sphere in the next few years. And then maybe in a couple of years, we'll do a second episode on this. Definitely something to keep your eyes on. Awesome. Well, thanks for another episode. And I, uh, I hope to talk to you again next week. You will. And I look forward to it. All right, you have yourself a great week. You too.